Hello and welcome to the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. My name is Andy Tier, and each week here on this podcast, we explore what it truly means to live and love like Jesus. And we do this as we follow his example of being with God, being with others, and being sent. So May is Foster Care Awareness Month, and we've participated in a few projects over the course of this past month to support the foster families in our community. Today on the podcast, we've brought together a few of the spokespeople from some of the organizations that provide support for the families, the foster families, and the foster children in our city. Our guests today include Jessica Kamen from Warwick County Casa, Larry May from Indiana Kids Belong, and Billy Beckham from Borrowed Hearts. And I'll leave it up to each of these individuals to explain exactly what it is that their organizations do over the course of today's interview, okay? And today's interview is going to be conducted by John Heflick. In his role, John's been instrumental in building a team of individuals within our church family that are strong advocates for the foster care community in our area. So let's go now to John's interview with Billy, Larry, and Jessica. Hello, uh, my name is John Heflick, and I'm the local engagement lead uh, here at Crossroads. And I'm excited today uh, to be sitting around a table with some friends who are involved in the foster care child welfare uh, system in our community. Uh, Today, we have uh, Billy Beckham with Borrowed Hearts, Larry May with Indiana Kids Belong, and Jessica Kaywood with Casa Warwick County. So, if you guys wouldn't mind uh, just telling us a little bit about what your organization does kind of in a nutshell. Borrowed Hearts is a nonprofit that serves strictly uh, fostering families and children in foster care. We do that by providing a clothing closet and a hygiene bank. Um, We like to call it the store uh, because it becomes more of a shopping experience for those families and kids. We give everything a child would need coming into care um, from newborn to 18 when they age out. So always keeping a variety of beautiful, colorful clothes, shoes, socks, underwear. We also give formula, diapers, wipes, baby gear, strollers, pack and plays, cribs and bedding, you name it, we probably have it for that child. And we do that to support those kids who are going through the worst times of their lives, but also to support those families who are stepping forward and are our frontline people doing this every single day to ease their financial burden. Awesome. And I'm Larry May with Indiana Kids Belong. Uh, We're a state chapter of America's Kids Belong. Um, We work with the Indiana Department of Child Services to produce um, high-quality two-minute videos of kids in the foster care system who are legally free for adoption. Not everybody knows that you can adopt kids out of foster care, but about 25% of them are adoptable or looking for a forever home. And so uh, these videos give these kids a face and a voice so they can tell their own stories to prospective uh, parents who would want to adopt them and bring them into their homes. Uh, We also work with businesses and churches to sort of equip them to recruit more foster families and also to just help them understand how they can get in the game. So uh, it's a little bit unique. A lot of folks don't think of businesses being involved, but we have some tools and some resources to help them as well. So that's what we do. And I'm Jessica Kaywood with Wart County CASA. Um, we are also, CASA is a national program as well. Um, we are in 49 different states. Um, 
So we are the children's voice in court when they are involved with a in a DCS case. Um, so the parents have their attorney, DCS has their attorney. Without CASA, the children wouldn't have representation in the court. Um, so that's we are primarily volunteer based. Um, we have about 60 to 65 volunteers and each volunteer has a case um, and they are the ones that represent the children in court. And Jessica, would you share with us, um, and it would, it tends to, acronyms tend to happen in every field, um, what CASA means and what DCS also means, yes, just to make sure yes. we all know that. So CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. So every CASA advocate is court appointed. Um, so the, at the beginning of a DCS case, which is Department of Child Services, um, the judge actually appoints CASA on each case. Okay. So. Thank you for just want to make sure everyone understands. We don't use alphabet soup without explaining <laughs> it. Uh, we're we're going to talk about by the end of this conversation uh, how uh, everyone out there can can plug into some of these organizations and tap into these resources. Uh, so we'll, we'll share that a little bit later. But to begin, what got you guys into this field? It is a very mm -hmm. difficult thing to step into. What drew you? to the child welfare foster care system. Billy? For me, it was a personal experience in um, fostering. And so um, I fostered a child in my family, um, having gotten the call unexpectedly um, out of nowhere and sort of had to regroup to be able to take that child into my care. And through that journey, sort of from beginning to end, you know, watching him choose what he could fit in a suitcase and agonizing over which toys he could take with him. And um, to the middle part where you're trying to resource um, daycare when you, you haven't had to do that for a while and uh, through the end of it um, and all of the in-between, you know, um, the children questioning where their parents are and, um, the good mornings and the good nights and um, the I love yous and it's going to be okay. And uh, so that was my experience, um, even through, you know, having to let him go when it was time. And uh, at the time, I wondered why in the world that was happening in our family. But uh, the opportunity came to get involved in this work. And it was an immediate yes from me because I knew God had prepared my heart and prepared the way for me to be called to this work. And that's why I do it for the awesome. children and for these families. Yeah. It isn't it amazing how God sometimes gives you an experience to walk through. So then you can plug holes for other folks. Yes. You know, your ministry comes out of sometimes a, a place of, of need in your own life and God meets that need and then reproduces it. It's, yeah. it's an amazing, I've seen it over and over and over again. Yeah. We didn't have a borrowed hearts. You know, we, we had, uh, me and extended family members sort of coming around him and helping to, you know, donate clothing and, um, preschool items and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, God does work in mysterious ways. I always say that he, um, he uses everything and he wastes nothing. So if you are open to seeing what he has for you, um, any experience, good or bad, he uses for good. So that Amen. was a perfect example of, of how he does that. That is really cool. 
I think Larry, I've heard your story and there's some similar tones to your story. Yeah. Similar to you, Billy. I, so we were going through a pretty arduous and long, uh, adoption process about 11 years ago. Our third child was adopted out of what you would call the foster care system in El Salvador. And all we were focused on was how hard that was and how long that took. And, um, had no idea I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Um, 11 years later, uh, our daughter was six at the time. She, um, so when we brought her into our home, that sort of began to open our hearts to the whole idea of kids from hard places. And then I, Jessica, I became a CASA volunteer. My wife and I did. And um, um, that really opened our eyes to the, I think because we were adoptive parents, we wanted to do more. We became CASA volunteers. And because of that, we realized, wow, this, this system really needs some help. And, um, that, so I'm a retired businessman about five years ago, I left the business world and, and knew I wanted to do something in this space of, uh, uh, serving vulnerable kids. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that out too, because it would be uh, easy to think that everybody in this space are social workers and, and those kind of folks, but we'll talk a little bit more a little bit later about how businesses and folks from that kind of background can also get involved, but that's, that's really cool how God moves that stuff. Um, but Jessica, what, what personally brought you into this field? So I was kind of thrown into it. Um, I have always had a huge passion for working with, I guess you could say not the normal population. Um, I've always enjoyed working with people that have disabilities or veterans, um, older people, younger people, you know, not the normal population. Um, so I actually used to work for the Department of Child Services. Um, I worked there for almost two years and it was just time for me to move on from there. Um, and I was out of child welfare for about a month and a half and I just couldn't stand it anymore. Um, and CASA training was actually about to start. So I went to CASA training and then within that training, I actually accepted my position at CASA. So. That's awesome. Awesome. What is the most common misunderstanding or half-truth about foster care that you come across? Larry, would you start us off on that? Yeah. So for me, I think maybe it would be about the parents. Um, when I was a CASA volunteer, um, I would be assigned a case. I would get the backstory. And immediately, in most cases, I'd be angry at the parents. I'm like, well, how could you do this? How could you let your child experience this? And what I began to develop a process of doing was meeting with the parents early on if I could. And what I always learned is that they had a story and most often their story was as bad or perhaps more traumatic as the kids that I was representing as a CASA volunteer. So, uh, the parents aren't the bad guys. Um, honestly, sin and, um, the world we live in, um, uh, we have an enemy and he hates kids and families uh, and not to not to abdicate any responsibility for the parents, but certainly they have a story. And usually when we understand that, we have more compassion toward them. Excellent. Billy, what do you think? Um, one of the things I think that people tend to believe or tell themselves is that there are enough. There are enough families, you know, that someone else is doing it. And someone else is doing it, but not enough someone's are. 
And so I think that's a common sort of thought is, you know, we know that foster care exists and we know that there are people out there that are fostering families. And so we assume just like when we call 911, we assume someone's coming. And when we think of foster care, we think there are plenty of people doing that. And that's just not true. Um, in our area alone, there are more than 300 children in foster care and about 89 fostering families to take them. And any way you slice it in any county, any region, the, the statistics are basically the same. We don't have nearly enough. And uh, the other sort of myth, I think, is that foster parents make money. So um, that's been a myth that's been around for a really long time. And so uh, it's it's not true in the fact that they make money. They do get a per diem that helps them with the increased cost of electric bills and food and uh, gas going back and forth to those children's appointments, which are greater in number than a, a typical child. And so I would say those are the two biggest uh, misconceptions, I think, around foster care. Yeah, thank it, you. It's just not enough either way. Jessica, what do you run into in the CASA world? Very pretty well took the words out of my mouth. Um, I think that most people on the outside of it look at these parents and they think that they don't love their kids or they don't care about their kids, and that really couldn't be further from the truth. Some of these parents that we're working with are the most loving, caring people. They're just stuck in that addiction or they have severe mental health issues. And the majority of them grew up in the system. They were abused and neglected, neglected as children. Um, and that's that's really all they've known. Nobody has taught them how to be parents. Um, they it's it's a, a very cyclical thing. Um, it's very generational. And that's kind of Casa is here to try to break that generational cycle um, we're really trying to be that one supportive adult that these children need to know that they don't have to live like this. They don't have to grow up like this. They don't have to raise their children like this. Yeah. One that I've that I've run into, uh, too, and I think there's just a general fear on the part of some folks um, who especially attend church of that the system is out to get us the government system and the, the the DCS social workers that I've met would run through brick walls for kids. I mean, they are just as compassionate and it is their desire always, I mean, to see what's best and for honestly, kids. Honestly, John, I would say they'd run through walls for the parents. Yeah. That's they don't right. totally care agree. about the parents. You know, they have to go in and remove these kids. Nobody wants to do that. No. They don't want to do that. No. And they want the kids back with those parents. Absolutely. So and the Family First Act that has relatively recently in the last couple of years been passed kind of tilts those scales for uh, for the social workers to keep the kid in family really at uh, at a very uh, high priority. And so, you know, uh, there's rumors that go out that, you know, that I've heard growing up, you know, the state's going to come get you if you spank your kids. And, and that is the, the furthest thing from reality uh, the the system really is trying as best in a fallen world it can to to work for the betterment of families and kids. Um, now I've noticed uh, that see, Borrowed Hearts is uh, what? How old is Borrowed Hearts? Um, we started in 2016. Actually, they started 
uh, sort of grassroots out of Sarah Goff's home in about 2015. Okay. And uh, we've been around as a nonprofit since 2016. Mm. So uh, Indiana Kids Belongs relatively? Just, just two and a half years. Okay. I mean, so, America's Kids Belongs been long, been around longer, but in Indiana, it's just yeah. two and a half years. So you guys are, are both, your organizations, you're not new to this area. Cost uh, has been around for a minute. Um, but what have you guys seen in the last five-ish years that is some some trending in the right way kind of directions organizations being launched yes. to help fill needs is a huge deal toward that but what are some other things that you see that's going in the right direction i see support of families being on the forefront of the work that we're doing and where that wasn't the case before it was more or less can we provide you goods um or uh you know, sort of, can we bring a meal train when you, when you take kids into care? And, um, I see the support beyond that now being at the forefront of the work that we do and, uh, making sure that parents have good space to be together, to talk with one another and be in community because fostering is a very siloing experience. It's a very lonely place to be. And when you're doing this work, caring for kids um, who come with a lot of trauma, uh, fear, anxiety, and and behavior sometimes, uh, it can be very difficult if you don't know other parents that can sort of come alongside you and lift you up. And so we try to do that by doing a monthly foster care um, support group for families and I know other agencies are looking at all of that as well. You know, how do we come alongside those that are willing to stand in that gap and hold them up? And I think that's that's kind of the most exciting work I see happening right now is that support because attrition is is high for fostering families. It's it hovers at or above 50 percent. So about 50 percent of families who begin fostering within a year will no longer foster. And if we can come around them and give them that support that they need, I think we'll see that number increase. Yeah. I know, so that's uh, one of the more exciting things, I think. A couple of our foster families take advantage of that too. Yeah. And I want to, at, at Crossroads, we we talk a lot about one church, that there really isn't a whole bunch of churches. Uh, we just go different to get different buildings on, on Sundays, but there's really one church. CFC is really the leader in our community that we're trying to learn from. And yeah. that's kind of how Borrowed Hearts started. Yeah. A lot of those support organizations and stuff uh, mm -hmm. came out of CFC. And uh, so we just give them props. I mean, praise God for them yes. and their leadership pioneering in our, in our area. Yeah. They sort of uh, started paving the way for other churches to figure out how that, how they can get involved. The other thing that I want to talk about is in, in the last five years, most of the foster centric nonprofits in this area are five years old approximately. And I think it speaks to this area and the willingness of people in this community in our faith community to be aware and support these families that we have um, at least five foster centric uh, nonprofits that do different things that, that weren't here five that years were ago. not here five years ago. And um, there's a coalition that has been formed through a Wellburn grant that brings those five organizations together. And that's Indiana Kids Belong, Borrowed Hearts, Isaiah 117 Project, Foster Care in the U.S. and uh, Isaiah 117 House. And we are working together to identify those gaps and see how we can 
approach recruitment and retention to, and support of those families. Yeah. And all of, just around the table the other day with you guys leading the way um, with other churches, learning how we can better support and stuff. So that was, was a, it was a good time, good lunch and good networking opportunity. Jessica, what do you see as kind of the biggest step forwards in the last five-ish years? I think that in this area, we've done a really good job at raising awareness of child abuse and neglect. Um, I know there's organizations in the community that go to schools or go to businesses and just do educational courses on what child abuse and neglect looks like. If a child discloses, how do you react to it? How do you report child abuse and neglect? Um, just anything related to child abuse and neglect, I really think that the education in this area is, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. And just to be, uh, make sure the elephant in the room from, from a church perspective, like there have been reports recently where there've been whole denominations that are called to account on this. And, uh, you know, we, we take that incredibly seriously too. Like all of our children's workers, volunteers are trained. Uh, we're looking at how to take that next step too, and, and work with Larry, uh, potentially in, in, in developing a trauma training and, and, and holding it here so that we can know not just how to identify the trauma, but how to respond to it. Um, and so one of the things I see is churches, I think, taking this issue more seriously, both from a, an outside standpoint, but also even from an inside standpoint. I mean, one of the things we had to figure out was who in our church had foster kids, who has adopted you know, those kinship, like you had Billy, like th those aren't always on everybody's radar or DCS's radar. So how do we even identify those families so that we can support them? And then how do we support them fully by training our volunteers to support them as a community? Uh, we're getting involved in care communities to try to wrap around support of our fostering families. So the burnout factor can be lessened. Um, you know, there's all these things that, that churches can do and you know, that we're trying to take some steps, uh, into, but it is, we're in an uphill battle, uh, to, to try to catch up really, uh, in some ways to the rest of the world related to kids and from hard places. Uh, Larry, what do you see as the, in the last five years? Is there steps in the right direction? I think in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, I think prevention is probably the thing that's been moving in the right direction. It has to do with his fam uh, family's first act, but also, Director Terry Stigden joined um, the Department of Child Services, I think, four or five years ago. And there's just been a real emphasis among her team of looking beyond the immediate circumstance and trying to see, do we really need to move that child out of the home? Because there's a lot of trauma that's associated with that. So I think keeping kids with families um, is a good step in the right direction. Mean, a lot of gray area there. Sometimes they make mistakes. They take a kid out of the home that maybe could have prospered in the home and they probably leave a child in the home sometimes where maybe it was best to take them out. It's just really hard. But I do think the idea of keeping kids in families uh, is a good one. And, and I know Director Stigden has really instilled that sort of a culture in DCS um, in, a, in a major way. We've seen the numbers come way down. In terms of removal from home. Good. So what, uh, on, on the flip side of that coin, what, what are the challenges that keep you up at night um, about foster care, child welfare in our community? Jessica, why don't you lead us off on that one? For me, it's the ones that slip through the cracks. 
um, COVID has really impacted child welfare. Um, I know personally, the day that I found out that the schools were shutting down back in 2020, I was sick to my stomach because I know that a lot of these kids, their teachers, the administer administrators at school, they're the only ones that lay eyes on these kids outside of their homes. So knowing that those teachers weren't going to see these kids, that just scared me. Um, and I mean, even when people are seeing these kids, sometimes they're not reporting it or the kids will just say, no, everything's fine at home. Um, and it's those kids, those situations that that slip through the cracks that those ones really get me. Yeah. Larry, what do you what about you? For me, it's teenagers. Um, as a CASA volunteer, I always my wife and I were older CASA volunteers. And so we always took teenagers. And um, not only is it hard to find a foster home for teenagers, a lot of, so when you become a foster uh, parent in the home study process, you decide what age and stage and gender and whatnot uh, I'm willing to take. And there are just fewer homes that are able to take teenagers. So that's a problem. Uh, teenagers often end up in residential facilities. And then the bigger thing that is really a gut punch for me every time I see or hear about a teenager that's aging out. So they've, they weren't reunified with their family, but they also didn't get adopted. And so I'm just thinking of myself when I was 18 years old, 19 years old, trying to do life without a family. The, the, and so just statistically, John, the, it's, it's, it's really, um, a grave situation in terms of a lot of factors, you know, addiction and homelessness and incarceration and unplanned pregnancy. You have a teenager that age out of the system without a family, um, the deck is really stacked against them. Billy, what about you? Um, for me, I think it's the fact that any child has to go through the things that they do um, to get into foster care. And so I want people to also remember that it isn't always intentional uh, abuse or something intentional that brings a child into foster care. Sometimes it's people who are really trying who have just hit a wall and they do not have the support that they need to be able to um, sort of dig out of that. Um, but the thing that keeps me up at night, I think the most is the families. So we have a a beautiful community of fostering families here who are incredible people. We see them every day. The community only knows them as the foster care community. But to us, they're individuals, beautiful people with a heart to serve, um, who love these children, who care for them. And it keeps me up at night thinking that they're doing this sort of with a skeleton crew, if you will, that there's not enough. And so the pressure, you know, that they must feel on a daily basis, just doing what they do, but also knowing that there are more children coming into care, always thinking, how many can I take, you know, um, who's going to pick up the, the baton. And the other thing is, you know, that about 50% of kids in our county alone, and it's no different for any other county, about 50% of those kids are going to be placed outside of our county because we don't have enough. And so what keeps me up at night is, is thinking of ways that we can further support um, those families that already exist on our front lines and do right by them and uh, how we can get more 
fostering families to sort of at least consider the fact uh, that that maybe they could be fostering families as well. Um, so, and to speak to Larry's point about statistics, if we don't do something about this, if we don't get more families, if we don't lessen the attrition rate of 50% in a year that will no longer be fostering, if we don't do that without intervention, these kids that don't have those lov loving fostering families that can help them make good decisions, good choices, teach them good things while they're in the home, then about 50% of those kids are not going to graduate high school even. About a third of them are going to end up in addiction. About a third of those are uh, the entire population of those children are going to be impoverished. And then they will raise children in poverty. And then they become the parents of children who go into foster care. Um, most people are not aware. We hear about human trafficking all the time. But a great number of children who are rescued from human trafficking have been in foster care at one time or another. And so having parents to step in the gap and be that positive role model and give that sense of security and hope to kids uh, is imperative. Yeah. And so those are the things that keep me up. Yeah. And as, you know, as a, as a pastor, it, it just immediately, um, you know, my brain goes to James one twenty seven that, you know, religion that God our Father honors is pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And, you know, if you look at that verse, uh, the, the orphan and widow, we're called to move toward them in their distress. I mean, it's very, very clear. And it, even when it's hard, even... It, because these are the populations, especially in the ancient world, that didn't have a voice. They had no one to stand up for them. So as believers, uh, even in the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament is replete with references of the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner, and God standing on their side. But, you know, we are called. There's no like, we, we don't have to biblically say, well, I wonder what God thinks about this. It is crystal, crystal clear. God calls us to move toward them. This is God's heart. God's heart is for the marginalized. So, I mean, uh, biblically speaking, and I, I know many churches, you know, we, we want to stand on what the Bible says. Um, we're called. We're already called. We don't even really need to pray about it <laughs> a whole lot. We, we just need to take some action. Um, so let me ask you then, you know, how, how can we take action um, Larry, to, I, I think your organization does some things. So if somebody is sitting there listening today and they hear something that goes, man, I'd like to know about those kids who uh, parental rights have been terminated. Like, how does somebody go see those videos? Well, um, our website, certainly, I don't know if there'll be message no or uh, notes along with this podcast where we could list mm -hmm. our website, but yeah, certainly we that's... Will. We have all, all the kids, all the videos up on that website. You click a button, it says submit an inquiry, and you can learn more um, that way. That's probably the easiest way to get to How do many it. videos do you have right now? Uh, well, we've videoed over 100 kids. I think there's about 50-something some odd, 50 on our website right now because a lot of them have been placed, uh, which is good news. But, um, yeah, so there's still quite a few. And then... Many states you can adopt from out of state. And so if you go to our website, you click up to our parents, 
parent uh, organization's website. Uh, we videoed over 2,000 nationally. So there's a lot of kids out there that are, and 1,500 kids in Indiana, they're legally free for adoption, but uh, nationally, um, about a fourth of the kids in foster care are looking for an adoptive home. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of, you know, when you hear a stat, that's a lot of individuals, you know, that's a lot of faces with a lot of stories from a lot of places. Um, so yeah, if you have any kind of inkling, uh, and you're listening right now, um, you know, find those notes and, and click into there because those videos will, um, soften your heart and change how you see what being a foster kid is. Definitely. Jessica, how can folks plug into Casa? I think we have two folks that we know of from Crossroads who are involved now and in getting trained as, as Casa advocates, but how can somebody connect with your organization? So the easiest way to find us is to Google just Wart County CASA. Um, you can also just Google CASA in general, and it will take you to the National CASA website, which from there you can cho choose your state, your county, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just Wart County CASA that needs volunteers. Every county in southern Indiana has a different CASA program, and they all need volunteers. Um, we're always accepting new volunteers. We're always training new volunteers. So that's a great way. If you can't foster, it's a great way to get involved. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I mean, I live in Vandenberg County, and I've heard Vandenberg has the need of hundreds of CASA volunteers. Yes. yes. And, and I'll, just, I'll just add on to what, make a pitch for you, Jessica, and for the CASA organization. But um, I, for me, uh, this was a great way to sort of dip my toe in the water to, um, I mean, you're not talking about 24 seven care like a foster home would be. You're talking probably 10, 12, 14 hours a month that is what on average, I think most CASAs in, um, spend, invest in their case. And it's just a great way to get to know kids, families, the system, understand what the needs are. So anyway, that's my pitch for CASA, but certainly that, that's really what led us down the path. And, and we always tell our new advocates when they're just starting training, it's a six week training. It's one usually either morning or evening a week. Um, and we always tell the new advocates when they first start training that if they decide it's not a good fit for them, that's totally fine. But we hope that it, even if they only make it through one week of training, that they'll learn something about the system, learn mm -hmm. something about child welfare. I, I know it, CASA has um, attracted me and my personality, if you will. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a naturally drawn to children kind of person, um, but I am kind of naturally a little bit of a fighter for the underdog. And uh, I thought, you know, uh, of all the kind of natural fits in this ecosystem, I think CASA really would probably be more of my intuitive fit, uh, you know, kind of go in, get to know a couple people and then, hey, let's 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 go to battle a little bit for the kid. Um, not that that always needs to happen, but, uh, I don't know. That is, I understand that kind of thing intuitively and I'm drawn toward it. Uh, so if you're out there and you're, um, you know, you kind of perceive that this space is only filled by ooey gooey people who just want to love babies. Um, those people are out there and we love them and they're awesome, but you don't just have to be that person to be able to, to get involved. Billy, how can folks uh, connect with Borrowed Hearts? Um, we have a website, www.borrowedheartsfoundation.org. 
On that website, there are two buttons at the top of any given page that say volunteer or donate. And so you can do that in a number of ways. Our, it's really hard to get volunteers these days. And we are facing some unprecedented times with volunteering and, and staff in general as a society. Um, so uh, volunteers are always welcome. We try to keep our volunteer shifts pretty short. They're two to three hours um, on certain days. And also donations drive what we do Um right alongside those volunteers. We need the the donations. So uh, donations of like new clothing, um, like new toys, coats, things like that. Um, also, just I want to make sure everybody knows there's something everyone can do. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot volunteer at one of our organizations, if you cannot donate um, some time or some money to that. Maybe you're in a situation where you just can't right now. It's a hard time for everyone. But if you can't, pray for the children. Right. Pray for these families because what we cannot do in the natural, God can do in the supernatural. And uh, there is power in that. And so if you pray alone, pray alone. If you can get some people together as a little group, as your small group, intentionally pray for these kids and these families and God will provide what they need the way that he does yeah. doing God things. Yeah. And, and to your point, um, you know, some of the ways that, that we at Crossroads uh, get it, trying to get involved, dip our feet in, we're about a year uh, into our, our, our own organizational foster care journey uh, that we were connected to care portal I know all of you guys have been uh, around some of those tables too. And Care Portal is a is an online connection system between the DCS social worker who identifies needs within families who are either about to go into the system or in reunification or any part of that process. And those uh, needs are identified and put forward for churches, individuals within churches to meet. And so all of our Care Portal volunteers see different synopsis of situations that have a need and there's a button on the care portal that you can pray for them. Uh, you don't always have to just give or go. And so the care portal literally is an opportunity, like Billy was saying, to pray for specific families in specific situations. And uh, that is an awesome, awesome opportunity. So if you're out there and you're in like, the situation that Billy was talking about, like you don't know really how to plug in, well, if you know Jesus uh, even a little bit, you can pray for the situations. Uh, we are actively forming uh, through our small group system uh, care communities and kind of going off different some, some models that uh, Hands of Hope, which is another organization in this space, uh, provide. And care communities for at Crossroads are small groups that adopt foster families and provide wraparound care for them, like they were talking about, to support them. And so far, our our foster families have done cookouts and they've done meals and they've gone over and done laundry and just stuff that our foster families at Crossroads need. So that's another way uh, if you're involved in Crossroads, you can get involved in a care community through your small group. Um, but just want to uh, thank you for you guys coming around. Uh, coming up in August, we're going to have uh, another Love Our City Week. Uh, and that's team-based uh, service projects that we'll do in our community. That'll be August first uh, through seventh. And we're talking, we're going to have one of a project at Borrowed Hearts. 
to come help sort some clothes and some do some things at their their uh, store. And I want to stress that it is a store. It is. I mean, I, I've uh, through care uh, through Care Portal uh, had a family that I was walking alongside for a minute, and we went to Borrowed Hearts, and it was a real blessing to those young ladies um, for one of our foster moms to walk them through the store and to affirm them and tell them they'd look beautiful in this thing. And um, the looks on their faces told me they didn't hear that very often. And so that was a really neat opportunity that I saw firsthand to be able to go and care for kids who are living in hard places right now. And so we're going to have an opportunity coming up to volunteer with Borrowed Hearts. And uh, like I said, Larry and I are working on uh, some things for trauma training for our volunteers and would like to, you know, we're going to hold that in the coming months. Not exactly sure when yet, but we're going to nail that down too so that our volunteers, uh, when kids from hard places and families who who love them come in, that we can know how to best care for them uh, within our children's ministry too. And we have two CASA volunteers that are currently active. And boy, I'd love to see more, whether you're in Vandenberg or Warwick County. Um and you're kind of more wired that direction, boy, connect with CASA and uh, let's walk that journey together. And for us at Crossroads, this is all being led by a volunteer-led team uh, that's showing us the way. These are active fostering parents. And to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience personally in this space. So I'm drafting other churches and listening to my volunteers and the experts in the community as to, you know, that we can move forward together because uh, I don't think this is an issue that any one of us can really uh, land the plane on. So final thoughts uh, for anyone listening out there, you guys. Larry, would you? what do you want to tell folks that, that may be listening to this podcast? Well, as a former businessman, I would probably just pick on business people and say, um, you thought you couldn't do anything in foster care? Well, we have an app. You can um, put your business up on the app and offer discounts to uh, families in foster care. Um, and if you don't own a business, um, everybody else that's listening to this podcast knows someone who owns a business or has a favorite business. You can go to them and say, Hey, did you hear about this app? You can get on that app. And, and so we have about 150 businesses in Indiana. We want that to be hundreds more, uh, for foster families. And so you can just go to your favorite app store, download the app and It'll take so you from there. Foster friendly. It's just called foster friendly in the Android or, um, or uh, Apple um, app store. And from there, you can nominate a business that you think you'd like to see on the app. Or if you are a business, you can go apply and uh, upload your logo and you'll be on the app in a matter of a couple of days. And so that I, I picked that just because it's just a reminder that there really isn't anyone who can't do something. Um, and, um, Again, I would be testimony to that. Like you, John, I didn't foster, uh, wasn't very close to this space at all. But, um, and um, the idea of having more kids in my home at this age and stage is probably not a good option for me either, but I can certainly do other other things. That's right. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up. That is an awesome opportunity for businesses to connect with this space. Jessica, what, what about you? What do you want to say, wrap up? Kind of like Larry said, there's something that everybody can do. If you think, well, I can't be a foster parent or I can't volunteer or I can't, everybody can do something. If you feel like you can't do anything, just be aware, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of the children around you. Um, Something that I think 
probably not a lot of people in Indiana know is that state law actually says that every person in Indiana is a mandated reporter, not just doctors, not just teachers, everybody. So if you see something and you don't say something, you're breaking the law. Um, if you see something, do say something, call the Department of Child Services hotline. Um, it's 800-800-5556, and they will ask you all kinds of questions about the situation. Um, just don't stand back and not say something. These kids need us. Yeah, and that and that can include for mandated reporting. Um, that is basically a that, that we all have a responsibility. If we see a kid who is in harm or being harmed in harm's way, uh, that, that we have a responsibility to to make that call. And and that can even be. Uh, a funny feeling on the back of your neck. It doesn't even need to be, um, I, I saw a physical wound or something or a kid reported something to me um, because it doesn't, not every report gets acted on, but those can build a case, you know, in a situation. Then it triggers uh, DCS to go involved, to get involved and just to check on on someone. Um, so yeah, I agree. Uh, don't be afraid to make that call. I think it's a uh, it's a good thing and can help kids. Billy, what about you? Um, Jesus commanded us to love one another. And love is an action. It isn't just a word. And so I would challenge anybody listening to this podcast to pray about what love is and how can I be the embodiment of the love that Christ asked me to show and lift up the organizations that are lifting up these families and these kids pray for us, pray that, you know, that there's an abundance for us to be able to then provide, um, pray about how you can get involved, lift us up first and lift up the kids and the families and then seek the ways that, he has for you to be involved. And what is that? Is that giving $5 or whatever you can afford? Is it donating your time? Is it when you approach a family that you know is a fostering family, just simply saying, I see you mm -hmm. and I hear you and I'm praying for you. Um, there's lots of things that people can do. And so I'm challenging you to put your love in action and remember, don't forget, this is foster care month. It's easy to talk about now. Don't forget those children and don't forget those families. Um, keep them in your prayers always. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. And thank you for all you do in our community and for our community and the blessing that you have been uh, to Crossroads. And Billy, I think you just hit it on the head. Um, you know, Crossroads are or kind of mantra that we try to beat is to live in love like Jesus. And I think as we do that and as we listen to God for his movement for us, um, I think uh, a lot of us will move into loving kids and families from hard places. Uh, so please consider that. Thank you for your time. And we'll talk to you soon. My thanks again to our guests on the podcast today. Please go to cccgo.com forward slash podcasts. That's podcasts with an S, plural. And check the podcast notes for episode 44 of the Live and Love Like Jesus podcast. Uh, links to the organizations mentioned on today's episode can all be found there. I pray that today's episode of this podcast has inspired you to go and to live in love like Jesus.